Hello, welcome. Uh, this is the Clubhouse, uh, in which we take a look at the various different events in the world of golf. Uh, my name is Neil Tappin, um, and I'm joined by Nick Bonfield. Nick, hello. Hello, Neil. Are you well? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. And Tom Clark. Tom? Hello. Everyone okay? I haven't been on one of these in ages. No, you've got I've to... I forgotten how to speak. Yeah, you've got to get out of cricket mode, uh, Tom, and back into golf. I do to do with cricket. I think it was just you guys fogging it. So, so Tom recently did a charity fundraiser in which, what did he do? You, you ran 10k or walked 10k and uh, what else did he do? Well I'm just going to grab the mic here so Nick can't do it. I did a charity <laughs> triathlon for my cricket club. Uh, please go to my Twitter feed to donate Find money. <laughs> Thanks for Nick. That, that was, I was not meant to be a plug but I can't believe you're having a go at me for, do it, for completing a, tri- a triathlon rowing instead of swimming when you I think I've entered two half marathons since you've been at Golf Monthly and completed exactly none. So uh, one, one and shin splints is all I'll yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So you did complete one? No. <laughs> I entered one, didn't complete one, pulled okay. out because of shin splints. Okay. No, good effort. Seriously, good effort. Well, it's been a very good start to the podcast. Uh, I'm sure everyone's gripped. Uh, this this week's podcast, we are going to be talking about the Ryder Cup. It's the first of a two-parter preview. We feel like the Ryder Cup is big enough to devote two separate podcasts too so in today's it, it is kind of isn't it it's it, quite it's quite a big event it's reasonable yeah it's reasonable so we are going to, to in today's podcast uh look at the golf course look at hazel Tyne um in minnesota uh, the challenge that that will be posing the players and kind of what to expect from from that because a lot of people i suspect listening to this will maybe know a little bit about hazel Tyne, but maybe not know an awful lot uh, then we're going to hear from uh i spoke to fergus bissett a couple of weeks ago about um, match play at sort of club level, uh, the kind of things that people do, the kind of things that people do in terms of gamesmanship, things that they should and shouldn't do. Um, so we're going to hear from Fergus about that. Uh, then we're going to look at the formats within the Ryder Cup, who might be, um, I guess, potential pairings, but we haven't um, we haven't actually got the finalised US team in front of us just yet. So we're going to hold off on talking too much about the players. That will be part two. Nice plug. Thank you very much. Um, then. Part, then we're going to talk about the crowds, then we're going to talk about the role of the captain, and we will finish off with our customary quiz, 10 questions on the Ryder Cup. Um, gents, your knowledge of the Ryder Cup, better than average tour golf, would you say? Better than an average tour golfer? No, better than your knowledge of average tour golf. Um, I, I, can I ask, answer that question after the quiz? <laughs> Concerningly, probably no for me. <laughs> so both well. <laughs> okay, good. Um Right, let's get cracking. Hazel Tyne, uh, the is golf it Hazel course. Hazel Tyne or Hazel Teen? Yeah, it's Hazel Teen, isn't it? But it just I, I can't read it and say Hazel Teen because that's not how it should be pronounced. <laughs> if anyone knows why it's pronounced Hazel Teen as opposed to Hazel Tyne, please tell Nick because <laughs> that's the sort of thing that would interest you, isn't it? Well, yeah. Especially as in the last podcast, Semantic. you were you were urging our listeners <laughs> Nigel in the last podcast you were urging our listeners to check out the PGA Tours pension plan <laughs> and I hope many of them did because it's really riveting stuff moving on stop laughing at me okay I find things interesting that you don't okay no it's just your use of the word it's, it's your use of the word interesting in that sense like it, what, what's not interesting about the PGA Tours pension scheme <laughs> okay, so Hazel, T- <laughs> Hazel Teen Tyne, Minnesota, designed by Robert Chent Jones, par 72, uh, coming in at 7,678 yards. Off the top of your head. Off just a few details that I've got stashed away. Um, I've written down in 1962, I presume that's when it was um, built. 
Uh, you, you, you've written that down. No, possibly. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I should have really written the second word there, which mm. probably should have said built in. That's that's two words. Um, Tony Jacklin won the US Open there in 1970. Uh, Wai Yang, Nick, one of your absolute all-time favourite golfers, all-time favourite shots. Yes, that's correct. Uh, he won the... And all-time favourite majors, actually, the 2009 US PGA. That back nine was scintillating. Um I can hear everyone who's listening to this nodding in agreement. Come Nod. on, Yang chips in on about 13 for Eagle. Really? Plays that shot can we, can we not just go through Wai Yang's back nine again? Um, okay, and, so... And also, I'm very disappointed because these are all the things which I thought might be in the quiz. No, uh, we haven't got oh. a single question about the golf course oh, in the brilliant. quiz. Um, so who wants I've to got something else, uh, uh, something else you haven't m- mentioned, though, and that is Richie Ramsey won the US Amateur. Oh, good. Yeah, good shout. 2006? Who did he beat? Tiger Woods? <laughs> I, no, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, Someone quite good there, wasn't it? No? I think it was a name. It was, yeah, a, name. It was a name. Okay, good. As much as I it got. was a name. <laughs> he beat and, a person. And also, uh, Rich Beam won there as well. Did he? Yeah. Won the USPGA? Yeah. Oh. 2002. Yeah. So it's a regular, it's a very much a regular on the sort of roster of big tournaments. And also probably perhaps... Making his Ryder Cup debut uh, this time though, isn't it? Well, the last three major-ish tournaments that have been there have all probably been won by outsiders non-American out- well actually no Rich Beam's definitely American uh, some outsiders who seem to enjoy the course so I don't know whether that so you mentioned the course someone please um, get this podcast started by telling us what the golf course is going to pose the challenge of the golf course uh I think it's it's a golf course that's got fairly typically American in the sense that there's a lot of rolling hills, mature woodland. Uh, I think there's a lot of water and areas of grassland as well. So I think it's going to be quite a risk-reward re- uh, style layout that will suit the longer hitter, that will suit the more aggressive player, I think. Um, Are people going to love what they see? Are people going to look at it and go, wow, that's amazing? I think so. I mean, looking at the photographs, it's fairly scenic. And they've actually changed the order of the course around for the Ryder Cup. So the holes 16, 17, and 18 have become holes 7, 8, and 9, and vice versa. I think that's to create more of a grandstand finish with the 16th being a reachable par 5 over water and the 17th being a par 3 over water. So why Yang's tree, as it's now known... Is now the 7th or something. It's now the 9th. The 9th. Uh, right. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. And the signature 16th has now been moved to 7. I know there was a bit of an uproar about that because... Some of the guys weren't so keen that the routing had been changed, but I think when you're looking at it from a logistical perspective, and they've done it for the spectator viewpoint, so I think it makes sense. And also to have more drama on the final three with more water in the mix, I think it's logical. Is it fair to say describe it as sort of typical US tour fair? I think uh, based team, on what yeah. I've seen in the photos and what I've read about it, yeah, that I think that's a good description of it. So is that um, going to favour the Americans then? Uh, to be honest, I'm not convinced it's going to favour one side over the other um the three the three par fives over 600 yards so i think a lot of these guys are going to be struggling to get there in two depending on how firm and fast it plays and i uh, to be honest with you I, I kind of over that narrative of it suiting americans or suiting europeans all the europeans these days play in america so often i think that's kind of spilled over from a bygone era where that wasn't the case so i don't really buy into that rhetoric too much and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Love sets it up. I'm sure he'll favour the Bombers because he's got lots on his team. But then Europeans have got a lot of Bombers too. So I think it's going to be fairly equal in terms well, of the That's the thing, isn't it? Up. I mean, that, that, those days where, I mean, potentially you might end up in the future with a team 
where no one hits the ball that far isn't one of the you know, big hitters of their generation but chances are that's unlikely you know mm-hmm. you look at the European side now I mean you look at the US side you've got Dustin Johnson who hits it mile Bubba will probably make the team I think I'll possibly yeah. make the team he obviously sure, hits yeah. it a very long way uh, just trying to think off the top of my head Kupka obviously Fowler. hits it miles big hits but then in, you look at the European team and it's McElroy Peters yeah, Rose um, hits it long these days uh, yeah, there's a lot of big hits every look and I think possibly that's why another factor why Donald and McDowell didn't get a wild card is because they're not the longest and it is quite a long golf course interesting uh, Tom so it put yourself in Captain Davis Loves the third III as he was once <laughs> described on a website that we, we uh, anyway um <laughs> uh, how would I you set was, actually, I think it was 111 one, 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 actually. One, one, one. Oh, 111, one, one, sorry. III would be correct. Oh, yeah, it was Davis Love 111, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Correctly described on the website. Anyway, yeah. um, what would you do to to the golf course to suit the Americans? Or is there anything, as we were saying, is there anything you make, can do? Make the greens as quick as possible. Right. Uh, I know, again, that's something. That's probably a little bit of a myth. They tend to be better putters, don't they? That, that's probably they to be, fair, they, isn't it? I think they, Americans seem to be better putters on quicker greens because they seem to play week in, week out on quicker greens on the PJ Tour. That was used to be the myth. I think that's probably just a little bit there still. If we go back to when Dave's Love the Third was last captain at Medina, um, if you remember rightly, he made it his... He made the greens rapido, and the Americans putted amazing, amazingly on them for the first two days. Um, and I think um, if we look back to those first two days at Medina, we're going to see very similar setup this year um, to make it. Yeah, long. just talking about Medina very quickly because obviously you know Davis Love was the captain there, um, and Davis Love the captain. Davis Love, I'm oh, sorry, I butted in there. No. Davis Love was a much better captain. Than Alathabel, I, I was going to ask that. That was yeah. pretty much. The he question he, I was he ask. did. I don't think he could have done anything else. He's got his pairing spot on. He mixed it up. Uh, I think Mickelson and Bradley were superb. The only thing you could argue he did wrong was drop Mickelson and Bradley for that <coughs> Saturday afternoon force. But then they won the rest of their game, right, so they so want to keep them fresh and. But then they both lost on Sunday, so maybe they weren't fresh. But could he have done anything with his order on the Sunday in the singles? No, I don't think so because. It was all there. It was just, for whatever reason, I mean, Jim Furyk's putt, which somehow didn't go in, and then some absolute explosions, Justin Rose holding that stupidly long putt on the 17. Everything just went the way of the Europeans. Everything had to get lined up in a particular way. They had to play very well. The Americans had to probably just fall away a bit, and that's what happened. But I don't think he could have done anything else other than go up to Tiger and say, make that putt on the 18 so we don't actually lose the thing. But... He didn't, and I think he's going to be formidable. Um, opposite. I think that's one of the reasons why they've given it to him again because um, he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve to lose that Ryder Cup the way he did. So um, it's going to be it's going to be tough. He got them playing in a team way, didn't he? Which they have struggled to do recently, Nick. Yeah, and I think they're returning to that pod system, the pods, um, whereby one vice captain takes three or four players under his wing and then reports back and feeds information back into Davis about who's playing well, who's struggling, who might be suited to playing with who, etc, etc. And I think that's quite a logical system, so that makes sense. And it's very true, actually. I think you would say that based on pairings and things, Love was a better captain. And you could argue there were some questionable decisions made by McGinley in 2014 with pairings as well, but everyone forgets about them because we obviously he's a great captain. But stuff like 
pairing Gallagher and Porter together on the first day. If but you lose, that's you're the kind probably of thing not going to get everything right. But the po- point I think about that is that he went he went outside the box a few times and got it right more than he got it wrong. So he got the McDowell Dubisson right. He got Stenson Rose together right, which other people I don't think had put those two together in in the past most captains do a lot of right there don't they I actually want to talk about the captain's role later so can we take a break from that (laughs) okay Uh, yes now's a good opportunity to um, to talk to Fergus Bissett Um, so yeah a couple of weeks ago I sat down with Fergus to discuss the um, the sort of intricacies the vagaries of match play at sort of club level so um, let's hear what he has to say Okay, so you join me here with one of Golf Monthly's contributing writers, Fergus Bissett. Fergus, hi, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you, Neil. Um, We are now going to discuss a little bit about match play because we are reaching that point in the season where we've got some interesting match play events on the horizon. Um, And I'm sure there's lots of you listening to this who play a lot of club golf, play a lot of match play yourselves. And it's actually one of those topics that probably we don't talk about um, enough because it is sort of a slightly nuanced version of the game. So, Fergus, first question: How is how is mat- the art of match play different to the art of stroke play? Well, obviously, uh, in match play you're playing an opponent, and in stroke play you are <laughs> Thank playing. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> stroke play, you're playing the course, so you've got to very much more in match play take account of what your uh, your opponent is up to. Uh, whereas, you know, when you're out playing a, a medal round, it doesn't really matter necessarily what your playing partners are. Although it's always good to see your playing partner struggling. It is. It is. A bit of schadenfreude (laughs) on the golf course. It never goes amiss. Um, But yeah, of course, um, match play, it it requires some different different attributes, I think, to to stroke play. Well, it's interesting you say that because ultimately golf is, or is it or is it not, about getting the ball into the hole in as few attempts as possible? Yes, it is. But in match play, it's about getting it into the hole uh, in fewer attempts than your opponent. OK, fine. So what are those attributes then? That ma- what makes a good match play player? Good question. I think, um, you know, the common conception is that, that you've got to be aggressive in match play. I don't think that's necessarily, necessarily the case. I think um, not giving anything away is the key thing. If you're always there making your opponent make birdies to beat you, the steady player, I think, is a, is a, tends to be an excellent match play player. Um, obviously, someone who can hold a few putts, that's a, that's a pretty key, key thing. You can really break your opponent's heart if you, if you start rolling them in from distance. <laughs> yeah, I've um, been on the wrong end of that. But yeah, I, I think just a putt, you know, someone who just grinds out par after par after par is very tough to get past. Yeah, I think you, you look at the European Ryder Cup teams of the last 10 years or so, and Luke Donald has been a crucial member of those Ryder yeah. Cup teams. And you might not think that would be the case because he's A, quite quiet. So, I mean, he's very well liked, but he's very quiet. Um, so he doesn't do the kind of rousing the fans and getting the emotions yeah, flowing yeah. on that front. Um, and he's not, as you say, he's not a particularly aggressive player. He's not like a Dustin Johnson who's just going to blow a course away. But he does that thing that you just said. He just hangs around, doesn't he? Yeah. He just makes a lot of pars and then he holds a few putts and makes a few birdies here or there. Yeah. And he's the sort of player that a lot of people like to play with in the team oh, formats of the game. Definitely a great a great partner to have and you, a, great, a person that you would really put with someone who had that sort of slightly more aggressive game and, and could go... go at, well, uh, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think that's the right way to go? So there's two um, sort of schools of thought. You either want players who are very different, yeah. therefore they, um, co- they sort of complement each other because their strengths are in different areas, or you want two players together who actually think in the same way. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're right there. There's definitely, you could argue a case for, for both. And I mean, if, when we talked about the importance of being steady, if you put two super steady players together, you're, you're doubling the difficulty of getting past those guys because they're just relentless. Um, however, you could also say if you put one steady guy in there, he can grind out pars, make sure that he's, um, he's always in the, in the game. And then you've got yeah, a Dustin Johnson, he's a good example, I think, isn't he? Someone who's just prepared to give it absolutely everything. Go for trying to make birdie yards. on every hole. Exactly. Um, so I think there's a case for both, and in different circumstances, both are going to uh, be So you very don't think effective. there's a blueprint? You don't think that, in well, your mind, there's be. not one way of doing it I the whole time? So. I don't no. think so. Depends on the kind of makeup of the team. Exactly. It just depends who, who you've got, who you've got to work with, and you know, in, in a in a team event like the Ryder Cup, then the, that's the captain's job to, um, to to try and get the right format together and get the best possible um, um, pairings. So, Fog, talking specifically about the differences between match play and stroke play, what are the match play tactics? What are the things that um, pl- that players do that are different in match play than in stroke play? Well. <laughs> I think a, a, a really uh, often talked about thing is, is a need to, to strike the first blow. I think that's always really important in match play. So you might see players um, looking to lay back off the tee. They might not play their drive and they might go for it. They might opt to play an iron off the tee or a three wood off the tee just so that they can then strike their second shot in first, try and get it in close, put the pressure on the opponent. Um, I think that's a really important thing. And, you know, it's the same when you get on the greens. I mean, obviously you can't decide you want to get it as close to the hole as possible. But often if you're the first person to go for a birdie putt or even a power putt, if it was going to win the hole, then that can really put the pressure on. Um, so yeah, I think striking the first blow is a, is a, is a key. What about gimmies? Gimmies are a There's controversial one. There's some tactics one, around gimmies, aren't there? Well, you can, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, you can, there's an argument there. Well, there, I think that there's a good argument for not having gimmies, but they're great fun in match play, I think, because you can sort of give a few to start with, can't you? You can sort of yeah. see a two-footer and go, ah, yeah, pick that one up. And then when it comes to the crunch of the aspect of the end of the game... The awkward silence all comes. All square on the 17th, <laughs> and you've got that two-and-a-half-footer, and yeah, yeah. Just so Would we'll you ever make someone one. putt one? Some people have made players putt really short ones. I Would make, you ever do, do that? I wouldn't make someone put something under sort of three or two or three inches. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would, I, be, I, it would be a bit antisocial. Yeah, no. I mean, I play a lot of scratch matches and even handicap matches at, at, at my club and against other clubs, and it's got to be fun. At, you know, at our level, you, you don't want to walk off the 18th green feeling that you've made someone put a one foot putt and somehow they've lipped out and you've won the game as a result and, just, that, and then no one's talking to uh, each exactly. other exactly <laughs> <laughs> just straight in the car and home no, <laughs> no going in for uh, soup and sandwiches after that no. one so okay that leads me on to the next uh, topic which is um, there's two different things at play here there's sort of get, um, sort of tactics and then there's gamesmanship at what point does something become um gamesmanship that's unacceptable versus gamesmanship that is acceptable like what I mean is making someone putt something that's a foot when it comes towards the end of the game that's more acceptable people are going to understand the thinking what's what's the kind of what are the acceptable unacceptable elements of gamesmanship do you think that appear in match play well I think you know yeah that that one that's sort of making people putt fairly short putts that's that's gamesmanship to a certain extent and um, and yeah as you you could sort of see that your opponent likes to, to play quickly and you might just be a bit more deliberate as a result of that and make them wait, uh, wait over a shot a little bit more. Um, you know. What about putting a driver out? 
and, oh. and standing there and making your opponent think you're about to hit driver and then they hit driver and then you pull out an iron and hit that that's instead. A, that's totally acceptable. <laughs> but then what, what, what happens if you know, you've pulled out, you're taking a risk, you pull out driver, they pull out driver, knock one, bomb it down the, bomb middle. It down the middle and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, I'm going to have to follow that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, <laughs> so what you can shoot, what you yourself, shoot yourself in the foot a bit with that. But, you know, it spills over to, to, to what's not acceptable when, it's not, when you're not being uh, sporting. If, for instance, Seve coughing and Paul raising his backswing or whatever it might be, that's not acceptable. The jangling trying, deliberate, of change Deliberately trying pocket. to put somebody off or, you know, doing something Oh, yeah, that, is, that's, that is, that's totally unacceptable, that is, isn't it? That's, but that's been, it's been done before. I mean, everyone, I'm pretty sure that everyone will know someone at their club who's guilty of the odd yeah exactly the, the jangling of the chains that's a that's a, a what, what, what about this i had this as a one example as a junior golfer where it didn't happen to me but it happened in the same series of matches that i was playing in one of the guys got to the 17th hole of the course we were playing and um it was a, we were away from home we didn't know the golf course very well yeah and they stood on the tee and just before my friend's opponent hit my friend said to the guy just to be sure, is there out of bounds running down the right-hand side of this hole? Yeah. And the guy said, yes, there is. And then hit his drive out of bounds and then had a complete wobbly, a complete head off that He'd my friend it. had done this on purpose, had used this moment as a way of putting the seed of doubt inside his head. Now, my friend was adamant that that wasn't the case and it was an honest thing that he did. Yeah. Um, Albeit the timing was probably a little bit questionable. Does that, if that was intentional, would that be unacceptable gamesmanship, or is that just? I think if it was intentional, it would be, it'd be, it'd be bordering on unacceptable. I think, but as a golfer, you should be able to deal with that mentally. You should be able to say, "Oh yeah, come on, Uh, yeah, I I know what you're trying to do here, but it's not going to work. It's not going to wash. I'm going to knock it down the middle here." So I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. I think that's okay. I think that's all right. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, it makes me think of a, something that was totally unacceptable. Um, a friend of mine was playing in the Scottish Boys many years ago, and uh, I went, I was watching, and um, his opponent's dad was standing through the back of a green when his opponent caught a flyer from the rough. And this guy, guy's dad saw the ball coming. It was flying way through the green. It was gorged through the back, and it looked in trouble. He took it on the chest, <laughs> chested it back onto the green. Extraordinary. Pre- pretended. Then, then well, you know, when he was challenged, he said, oh, I didn't even see it coming. Just hit me. He was wearing a big sort of puffer jacket. <laughs> and the guy halved the hole and he ended up going on to win the match. My pal was knocked out. So that, no. Well, that's just, I, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're playing match play or stroke play. I think <laughs> just, that's unacceptable. Just cheating. <laughs> Basically just cheating. So, yeah. Any sort of cheating is definitely unacceptable. <laughs> it's definitely unacceptable. <laughs> I think... Well, it, Golf is one of those sports that, because it's self-policing, it does lead to these situations where the, you might be in the, the direct letter of the law, correct, but the spirit of the rules can be sort of... Yeah. And match play seems to extenu- accentuate that <coughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I would say that's the, that's the case. You sort of... Uh, yeah, you, see, you, you, you see at all levels, from, from professional level right down to sort of club handicap, knockout, there's going to be a little bit of needle isn't there there is because it's man on man man, woman on woman 
let's rewind <laughs> it's uh, one against one <laughs> okay so <laughs> let's let's move on quickly and um, let's presume that tomorrow to Paris. let's presume <laughs> that tomorrow um we're playing match play against each other what would be your tactic <laughs> against me <laughs> against you um I'd sort of mention, I'd subtly mention a shank when we were in the, <laughs> when we were when we were warming up on the putting green, um, and then I would probably do that. I would definitely be trying to goad you and taking driver, I would, if I could possibly make you hit your driver at, all, be at all times. Uh, but I think I would, I would be patient because you'd start fast, and I'd be aware of that, and I'd be ready for it. You'd probably be a couple up through the first three or four. But you'd be expecting the wheels to come I off. I would be expecting the wheels to come <laughs> off. And I would just maybe start to subtly talk you up a bit. I would just sort of say, you're hitting it so well today, Neil. I mean, that, I've, I've seldom seen you hit it with a draw like that. That's excellent. <laughs> this then, is brutal character assassination. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and then slowly you would begin to, to crumble like a cheap biscuit. And uh, <laughs> I would probably win three and two. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, on that note, I think that's probably a good place yeah, to finish. Do you want to go through again with quick 18? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. it <laughs> okay, so let's return to talking specifically about this particular Ryder Cup um, and look at the, the foursomes and four-ball formats, first of all. Um, gents, who wants to start? What's the, um, the, what makes a good foursomes pairing? I know that we've heard a little bit from Fergus talking about that as well, but what, what do you think in the Ryder Cup makes a good force? I think they need to um, have a bit of chemistry on the course uh, and just everybody plays well. It's not like you're playing in an amateur tournament where you go, well, you drive it quite well and you putt it quite well, so we're trying to, we're trying <laughs> to use each other's strengths. They will have people who are slightly stronger drivers and all that. But every golfer there is obviously a very good golfer anyway. So I think really um, it's really about teamwork and just being able to chat to each other, help each other out on the course. I think especially for the Europeans, um, because they're going to have the whole of the, not only the Americans against them, but also the crowd against them as well. So it's good that, you know, to have have someone to be able to chat to, to bounce ideas off and probably just relax each other. I think is a is a huge important. How big a role do you think the caddies have in in the Ryder Cup? Do you think they have a role to play in that that, that sort of camaraderie, that bonding that goes on within the team room? The caddies are a part of that, aren't they? Oh, or definitely, it... and, and increasingly so this time around because I think Clark's actually bringing them into the team room, uh, which they weren't necessarily involved in previous stages of the Ryder Cup. So they're going to be seen as fully a part of the side and treated almost like the players, and they'll all contribute to that team spirit and to that team bond in the team room. So yeah, I think they're. Their role is probably enhanced in the Ryder Cup um, off the back of that. Um, yeah, of course they have an important role to play, but I think chemistry is key, as Tom said. I think having faith that your partner can hold six-footers is important. I think uh, being you'd want to be paired with someone like Lee Westwood who finds a fairway most of the time. So I'd say holding out and finding fairways would probably be what I'd look for as my in ideal foursomes partner. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want, for instance, someone like Tom Clark here. Um, where's, forever, where's this going? Where's you'd it? be forever looking for your ball in the trees, wouldn't you? It's well, not really. That's not what great team pairings are made of. No, you're right. Thanks for that. <laughs> also, um, going back to an actually serious point, thank you, Neil, uh, um, was that I always remember Ross Fisher when he was playing at Celtic Manor. He said... Um, it was so great. He, I think, he played the foursomes and the four balls with Patrick Harrington, and he goes, "It was absolutely amazing because Harrington is such a good uh, reader of greens. He goes, I just asked Harrington to read every single putt, and he got every putt almost right. And I was just said, oh, I just had to hit it.' 
So having having things like that, you know, just saying. Yeah, and, and so and actually, I think we're going to move on and talk about the role of the captain. But understanding, I, I'm with you that there is a certain amount of tactics involved. You know, do, you, in foursomes, you want to play the players who are very straight and very steady. In four balls, you can play the players who are going to make more birdies and more bogeys. That's the general thinking. But it's also it's about studying too much more yeah. intricate on the actual. Mm. Uh, nuances of who goes together other than it's about characters it's about people who get on it's about you know forming a, a bond on the golf course with the other player and then both pulling in the same direction I was saying it's also about um, studying the card beforehand and working out who is suited to teeing off on which holes because if there are a run of par threes on odd numbered holes for example you want to be paired with a strong iron player etc so it's about dovetailing that sort of side of it together as well where possible um, which I'm sure everyone will be on top of. They'll be studying everything to the nth degree, so I'm sure they'll be very aware of that and coming up with plans. Um, uh, just, Nick, as somebody who, um, it's fair to say that you, you, you love America. That's fair, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's Minnesota like? Uh, I really don't have much <laughs> frame of reference here, apart from making a murderer, I believe, was, was staged there, and that didn't paint it in a great light. Um <laughs> I believe, uh, <laughs> I don't really know, what, I think it's fairly pastoral in places. I think there's a, there's a couple of decent cities there, Madison and uh, Milwaukee possibly. <laughs> Where's this, what's this got to do with the I, I, I know what, it's there. But what I want to know is what, what the crowds are going to be like. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be full of liquor and loud as they always are, absolutely no doubt about it. Um, Partisan, full of liquor, Quick question boisterous. for you. Do, the, the European guys that go to every Ryder Cup and they sit in the front row and they have a series of songs already set out on paper in front of them um thoughts on them great yeah provided a great entertainment role last time out i uh, don't really have much more to say because you're not going to be able to combat the uh, the american guys but i think if you do turn around as a european player and see that in the crowd that does give you a little boost on the first tee but i'm not sure it means a great deal tom i th- i don't completely agree with that because i think that they have make, actually make a huge amount of difference because it shows to the American crowds who probably only have one or two chants, which I'm not going to chant because they're, they're easy to know what they are. They usually <laughs> are three letters repeated uh, over and over again. You could it's have not done like it Voldemort, you can say the chant, you know, it's okay. USA, USA, okay, USA. Okay, okay thank, thank you, thank you. But um, I always think the, the European chants are funny, they sometimes have actually relax the players on the tee. They show that the Americans that uh, were perhaps a little more, more uh, cerebral in our our chanting or our songs. Um, and <laughs> so, I think actually it gets the Americans almost on board with some of the Europeans. European, it? And it puts because them on they the love it. They go, oh, I wonder what the song is for this person. I wonder. And it just shows that you. It's like um, if you. I've been to a few away football matches. And the, when you're sitting in the away crowd, it's always more fun than being in the home crowd because everybody's out there to get you and you stick together and it's a bit more camaraderie. So I think that, I think that, re- that really helps as well. No, do, they have, um, do they do chanting at any other American sports, like at any particular songs they would sing at American football games? Yeah, I've only ever been to college games and yeah, they all have, uh, have various chants. Yeah. So, so it's not it's beyond the realms of possibility that they might develop a group of people that would do the same thing not beyond the realms of possibility no uh, I wouldn't expect to see it happening necessarily but. and what do you think of the um, the cheering during the shots of the Ian Poulter Bubba Watson thing that, um, that was actually the, the bit I was going to go up to and I think that has 
they've that's been evolved to try and combat the uh, European take because those songs usually sung on the first tee, aren't they? Yeah, you know they're there first first thing in the morning and they don't, they don't move until they've they've gone. So that cheering, which I know, I think Bubba started off, uh, and then I think Poulter nicked it as well, and I think a few others did as well. It's uh, it's interesting, but that first tee shot. Anything can be going on because they're usually so bad because they're so nervous. They usually all hook them left about two hundred yards and they just try and find the ball, don't they? So um, it's as a spectacle for the sport and for Ryder Cup. I think it's awesome because it's something that people actually tune in and watch, and it'll be on the news and stuff like that. Yeah, and golf can yeah. be a bit stuffy at times and a bit boring. And and you know the the amount of time that we spend if you're watching golf on TV, spend watching people tapping in from three feet. Actually, to to see that is refreshing and it's fun. But what I, 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 I would say, I would think the the players sorry just before we move on, I think the players actually enjoy it because it takes some of the focus away from their impending tee shot, which they're probably going to hit exactly. badly. Yeah. It takes some of the focus but away what, from what, it. I, I'm not a great fan of it, and the reason I'm not a great fan of it is because I think one of the the unique things about golf, one of the great things about golf, is when they have a really big pressure moment in golf. Everything is dead quiet. It's more intense that way. Everybody's eyes are looking at you. So we've all been there at you know big golf tournaments. You know, at the end of a major where someone's got a short putt to win it, or it, you know you're just hitting a, a second shot into the 18th hole over water, and it's just one of those moments where you realise that this is the moment of the tournament coming up, and the intensity of that moment when it goes dead quiet is just extraordinary. And it's the same at the Ryder Cup. I was at the Ryder Cup. Um, it, Valhalla in 2008 where Podrick Harrington hit the opening tee shot and he did exactly what you said Tommy I'm pretty sure I mean I can't remember exactly but I'm pretty sure he hit a snap hook it wasn't the best but he managed to get the club on the ball which is about what, what you're yeah. looking for and that nervousness that comes from the dead silence after the huge roaring is unique to golf um, and I think it's one of the best things about the Ryder Cup and I whilst I, I don't have an issue of the cheering from a kind of etiquette perspective I, I don't really care what I prefer is that intensity that you get when it goes dead quiet. But I think that's the th- at the right cut, even the tee shot, the first tee shots especially, they do not um, matter completely. You know, they do not decide the Ryder Cup. Even it's so, um, let's go back to Valhalla again. You know, uh, not Valhalla, Medina, sorry. Um, when Kamer had that putt to win, it was dead quiet. You know, when the, when the matter, when, when it when it mattered and it really did matter then. It was dead quiet. Yeah. yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. The fans are just being reactive, though. I, I don't remember many first tee shots in the Ryder Cup that have been played in anything other than quiet. No, silence. Yeah. It just so happened that that one time no, that Bubba was. I agree. It might just be become this thing that starts to gather a bit of momentum and becomes yeah. the norm for the Ryder. It's Cup. only because Poulter and Bubba asked for it. I mean, they're not going to do it, and uh, unless unless basically there's some prompt on the tee. Yeah. No, exactly. I, I I love the Ryder Cup for the atmosphere that it creates. It's what it's the only golf tournament that my wife is even remotely interested in exactly the same not my wife (laughs) (laughs) my my brother brother and my mum absolutely love the Ryder Cup but will not watch any other golf Uh, you've asked for that haven't you one day one day maybe (laughs) Um, lost my trailer it's very hot in this room isn't it this room is the hottest room I'm actually uh, so um, for my viewing of the Ryder Cup so I'm away on a golf weekend, which so we have an early... Lads on tour. Very much so. Uh, cricket lads on tour. Uh, Friday morning tea time, and then we're going to be in the bar from, from our uh, well, early afternoon, with any luck. And um, 
Yeah, enjoying it. So I might not actually even be able to remember the first two shots. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, but it's you, one of those ones where it will, <laughs> you wouldn't all get together as a group of guys and go right. I'm going to go and we're going to watch the open, the start of the open. For no, example, of course like not. But um, it, it it does bring people together. And actually, I was going to ask you both seen the first the opening tee shot of the Ryder Cup. Have you live or at the actual bin there? I haven't the been to the for the actual first one. Celtic Manor, no. No, I wasn't there for that. I was the day when I was there on the se- the second day. Uh, okay, which was actually more or less day one. If you remember how much it rained, it did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've been on. I've been on the first tee. I think it, it's one of those sort of bucket list things that people, if you're really dead keen into your golf and you want, you know, one of the best golfing experiences, then actually doing it, going somewhere, you know, where, and probably not going to happen, but preferably in the US, because exactly what you said, Tom, when you're an away fan and you're part of a group of Europeans and everyone's looking at you going, God, I can't believe you've come all the way. When I went to Valhalla, Valhalla's in Kentucky. No one could believe that any Europeans had bothered to go to Kentucky to watch the golf. And you've got these groups of Europeans who are basically there saying, we're going to make as much noise as we possibly can. And the atmosphere they created mm. because of that was terrific. And it is, it's, it, you know, Mike always, Mike Harris, our editor always talks about the K Club, the atmosphere there when Darren Clark hit his tee shot Ryder Cup so yeah it's probably one of those things we should all try and do at some point um, quick question about the captain's role we touched on it in a podcast not last week week before um, is it overstated is it understated how important is it it's dependent on the, the outcome I think to be brutally honest with you uh, you could argue that's, that co- that's a real real cop out answer Nick <laughs> uh, I think it's probably um <laughs> slightly overstated because ultimately the captains can lead the players to the water if they don't drink there's nothing the captains can do about it but I think more so with statistical analysis <laughs> proverb there from the- good, reco- actually, good recovery actually I actually believe Sam Torrance used that until one of your sermons that's where I've stolen it from <laughs> I think in terms of things like statistical analysis their role is getting broader and broader and with their media duties as well but in terms of actual how much impact they have on the outcome yes you could argue pairings but you could have the perfect pairing and then there's two guys could go out and not gel with each other and play poor golf so i think honestly it does depend on the outcome but it is certainly becoming more important than in years past yeah i I think that if you do a bad job it's more apparent than if you do a good job um and thinking of people who've done bad jobs if we're going to look at back at valhalla um, I mean, what on earth are people doing writing down the pairings on a bit of paper in front of all the cameras the day before? On a, it was on a sandwich pack, an uh, empty sandwich wrapper. Well, no, wasn't it on a bit of paper? And he said, "Oh no, no they were off." It was what they wanted for sandwiches or something. Oh, like, yeah. Tried to cover it. <laughs> so like, well, you go, you go from that and that debacle, and probably the captain there probably trying to take too much limelight off the players and being a little bit more back in than the team. There was no doubt about that. Faldo yeah. in his pre-tournament at the opening ceremony it was like the Nick Faldo show wasn't yeah, it it you, was a bit cringy yeah and um, yeah. you don't want that from if you, ha- you have that and then you look at look back at, at Glen Eagles McGinley and then you find out afterwards actually how much work they got into it you probably think is that a bit too much work for someone having McDowell go over to France and spend uh, spend a week <laughs> with Dubasson and people go really <laughs> did, did that happen was yeah that but, yeah, I, I but agree. he got the job. They got, he got the job done. He made sure no stone was left unturned, and that's it. Alathabal was just too emotional about everything it seemed, um, and I think his vice captains took a huge role to get, help him get 
<laughs> to get even the teams picked. I think. I think you judge the captain on how well you do at the four, four balls and the foursomes, and then if yeah. you get cuffed in the singles and end up losing, then yeah. as we said with David stuff, I also think you know Tom Lehman when he was captain when uh, Europe absolutely destroyed uh, the US at the K Club, that wasn't really his fault. He had a team that just didn't. I mean, maybe it was his fault, but you got a team of individuals there. You know, you got Woods who just basically didn't turn up. You've got random people like JJ Henry in the team who frankly and Brett Wetterick Brett weren't Wetterick, really good yeah. enough for the Ryder Vaughan Cup. Taylor. So they and they, well, they all on the same team. <laughs> yeah, and, and they play, they were playing against Stenson and Donald and Westwood and Clark and Monty and you know, that was a great right Europe and so you can't really blame Tom Lehman too much if you get absolutely thrashed in that scenario. So yeah, I would I would judge a captain's the success of a captain on what how they do in the four balls and foursomes. As long as they don't do what Curtis Strange did at the Belfry when he put his players out in reverse order so he put his weakest at the start and then his they took a lead going into the singles didn't they and then he put his weakest out at the start strongest out at the end and they lost momentum in that final that was um, so were Mickelson that was the one Price yeah one that that McGinley held the I think they were the 10th pairing or something like that or or no 11th pairing I think yeah yeah he 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 just yeah things like that are I think also a little bit silly. <laughs> it's like when you're playing cricket when you're in the secondary school. Well, we'll put the worst people out first and then they'll they'll get out to the good bowlers and then the bad bowlers will come in later. And, and then it's overthinking. And you go, hang on a minute, we're all out. It, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and McGinley's performance helped bring, actually bring to light how much goes into the captain's role. Uh, things like playing with specific guys on the European tour throughout the course of the season. Like, for example, Clark playing with Peters at Made in Denmark. Uh, I think that's great that they're allowed to do that because Clark saw firsthand that Peters was a class act and then he went and shot 63 so he also responded to the pressure of being with Clark uh, Clark's got teams of statisticians working on things um, I think currently I heard him talk in an interview about the percentage or chance of winning if you pair two rookies together and going back 30 years and all sorts of things are being covered now apparently it's something like 15% right okay so interesting. that's yeah. obviously going to then feed into his strategy for the four balls and the foursomes huh. But having said that, though, the best pairing for the Americans last time was... It was Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth. So basically, these are all storylines before the tournament. And once it gets underway... Unusual, you know, you've got Spieth and Reed are better than your average Ryder Cup rookies, aren't they? Yeah, but who's to say Matt Fitzpatrick and Chris Wood or Matt Fitzpatrick and Andy Sullivan, if they play together, who's to say they're not going to win four matches? Yeah. And, sorry, one other thing I thought about this for the captain is that I always think that the captains have got to think also not about this Ryder Cup, but also for future Ryder Cups as well and the one thing that although taking the mick out of Nick Faldo uh, for his captaincy the best time. thing he did was no, it was Martin Kamer oh. he took Martin Kamer along as 13th uh, he did, man didn't he? Yeah. at Valhalla and Kamer was just coming through ranks of doing very very well just to see what the atmosphere was yeah, like but and was there, it all. and he's been there ever since he's obviously held the winning putt as well and I always think that uh, that is what something that Davis Love did not get right the last time was his wild card picks where he didn't pick uh, Ricky Fowler. He didn't pick Hunter Mahan. Have I got that right? At um, at Medina, and he picked Jim Furyk and and a few older guys and Stricker. I think as well he did. So he picked Furyk and Stricker. When actually the the course was set up for the younger guys, um, and actually then Fowler, well Fowler hasn't played now for a couple. So it's it's it's. I think they've got to look to the future as well and think. Okay, if I were, was going to be the captain in two years' time. Is it worth giving 
one of these older guys a last hurrah actually should I be blooding the youngsters blooding somebody who's coming through that you think this guy's class he will play, end up playing four or five Ryder Cups yeah. in his life it's a good point it's a, uh, you know what it's a point I didn't think of Tom so well there you go great insight well done Sir Nick <laughs> um, okay I think that leads us to our, our Ryder Cup quiz crowds no we wanted to discuss the crowds a little we have more. been discussing I just crowd. wanted to make a point that Ollie Wilson said that whole thing we said about the chanting yeah, the yeah, songs thank you. you saying that Minnesota was very pastoral. Yes, I, I remember. I remember. But Ollie Wilson <laughs> says something interesting is that actually the boisterous nature of American fans can actually sometimes lead, uh, turn against them because it's quite irksome. Uh, and the European guys are determined to shut the crowds up by um, playing their best golf. You've so that used can actually. Some fantastic words in this podcast. Irksome. Irksome. So it can. They, it's just a word like of caution for the American fans. For the US team. It's quite irritating and it. Chuck and irksome. Mo- Trying to make a serious point here, it can motivate European players when the crowds are very boisterous like that. So yes. they think they're being 100% uh, doing their team a favour and actually possibly sometimes works the other way. Indeed, indeed. Okay, well, let's move on and do our quiz. So um, in this particular... Uh, okay, Nick is going to try and balance... Oh, here we go. The microphone on a bottle of water. That's, just, that just, could, just leave it, just leave it. I, I, I've got... Right can only go badly um, anyway so 10 questions um, predominantly about the history of the Ryder Cup but there's a few a few other ones in there nothing about Hazel Teen Nick have you dropped your pen Tyne no ready Every, is everyone ready I, don't, no cheating from the renowned sheet that comment He's looking at paper, the Olympic lineup on the floor. You've got, look, you've got the, uh, you've got it, the magazine open in front. We've already established that there are no questions on the course. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yep. Stop fighting. Uh, question number one: When was the Ryder Cup first played between Europe and the USA? Um, okay. Comprende? Um, I'm not sure. Between Europe and the USA. Yep. Yep. Okay. Heard you. Fine. Uh, do you both have an answer? Yes. What was the score at Glen Eagles? Or as once it was printed in Golf Monthly, Glen Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we forgot to put the second E. Uh, anyway. Um, Hang on. I'll, t- I'll give you a clue. Europe won. Um, anyway. Question number three. Um, who captained the first... US team. Whatever. In 1927. Sorry, that was very badly read out. Who, Partly who my, captained the American team in 1927? In 1927 at the first Ryder Cup. Have you just given the answer away? For the first no, I haven't. Because oh, nice. the first no, question was worded in such a way. That is really disappointing, Nigel, for you. That is really disappointing. I wasn't paying attention to the first question. Well, there you go. Is it for Europe against the USA? Question three. Question three. Right, okay, fine. I I have no idea for this. I might have to put something funny. Um, Um, Nigel, I think you may have got away with... I know, I think he has. I'm I'm disappointed in you. Uh, Next question, question number four. Um, Don't don't look at my pad, Nigel, you cheat. (laughs) I'm going to put my my little sack... uh, Microphone sack that is over the uh, <laughs> <laughs> over the answers. Uh, question number four: Who secured the decisive final half point at Medina? 
to win the Ryder Cup. To decisive win. final half point at Medina to win the Ryder Cup. To win the Ryder Cup. The decisive final half point. You, we've, we've heard As opposed that. to retaining the Ryder Cup to win the Ryder Cup, who secured it? Couldn't spell that out anymore. Well, I, you know, I Phil, Nigel seems a bit. I've got today. one. That is, I know I have scored at least one, so I'm happy. Ooh. Okay, question number five. Two Danes have played in the Ryder Cup, but who are they? Nigel, who are they? Oh dear, that look doesn't say I know the answer. That look says... Is it half point? Is it half past four in the afternoon? It's uh, a bit of an in-joke there, sorry. Probably Years? guess what that refers to. Uh, what? Years? Nope. Oh, I think I think I've got it. One of them, I'll tell you. No, one of them's played in a few. No, yeah. stop giving him. Stop giving him clues. Uh, okay. Question number six: Who captained the first European team? Who captained the first European team? Um. Yes. Mm. You two are very confused. You don't, especially you, Nigel. You look a little bit like um, what's it, Jason Duffner? Jason Duffner's dinner. <laughs> oh no! Now he looks upset as well as confused. No, I, 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 the, the first question is, I can't remember if it's one or. Question number one is still bugging you. Question number seven. seven. Name the course chosen for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll read that out again. Name the course chosen to host the 2022 Ryder Cup. Name the golf course chosen for the 2022 Ryder gone, Cup. Why have you gone for that one? Because ah, I decided to. It was announced not that long ago. It was announced know, last I, Christmas. I, all over it. I'll give you a clue. No, no, you... please. Okay, all right. What you? What year is it? Twenty sixteen. Twenty twenty two. Oh no, hang on. I've got. Oh, sorry, I've got complete. Uh, oh. <laughs> I know where it is. There's scope for a stupid answer here. I think. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, uh, question number eight. What year was the war on the shore? The war on the shore took place at Kiowa Island, uh, in the USA. Um, one of the more confrontational Ryder Cups, I believe. Nice doing a lot of crossing out. It's like doing some sort of Tony Hart impression over there. No. <laughs> Good. Um, three French players have competed in the Ryder Cup. This is question number nine. Three French players have competed in the Ryder Cup. Can you name them? Um... We've mentioned one of them in this podcast already, so, and I, in fact, you'll know the the one because Nick, obviously, you have a poster of him on your bedroom wall, which helps. I think I've got this. Can we carry on? No more space on my bedroom wall. <laughs> it's apparently, at this rate, it's it's said mystery French golfer Thomas Peters, Justin Rose. Who else is on there? Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed. <laughs> it's just a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Jason Duffner. <laughs> oh yes. Uh anyway. Oh, question number ten, the the Joker, the wild card question. <laughs> oh great. Uh Per Ulrich Johansson and Jesper Parnovic both played for have both played in the Ryder Cup representing Sweden. But how are they related to each other? So Perowick and who? 
and Jesper Parnovic. I'll give you a clue. They're not brothers. <laughs> Which, no, not funny. They have the same surname. Begin with another joke answer. Um, that is question number 10. So that concludes this week's quiz. Um, right, come on. Nick, let's go. Swap, swap your exam papers over. Okay, so... Ooh. Question number was one. It? When was the Ryder Cup first played between Europe and the USA? Nick, you were being a bit stupid here, weren't I you? I think it's you... 77 or maybe 79. I think it's 83. It's 79. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry, I crossed that out last minute. It's 77. That's annoying. That's incorrect. Um, what was the score at Glen Eagles? Anyone proffer an answer? 16 or 16 and a half, 11 and a half. 16 and a half, 11 and a half. Oh, I got it wrong. Nick got it right. Oh. Um... Who captained the first US team in 1927? Uh, I want you to both read out what you you wrote. Well, well, Nick has put Bobby Jones, I've put Byron Nelson. And you're both wrong. It was Walter Hagen. Well, there you go. I I don't think those answers were complete. No, they weren't as stupid as I was hoping. Um, (laughs) The one I crossed out was quite stupid, actually. (laughs) Initially, I wrote diaries slash could be European. Question (laughs) mark. They crossed that out, but Bobby Jones. <laughs> Could have got away with that. Oh dear. Um, okay, question number four. Uh, who secured the decisive final half point at Medina? The answer was... Francesco Molinari. Correct. You both got that right. Um, question number five. Two Danes have played in the Ryder Cup. We both know, you both knew that Thomas Bjorn had played in the Ryder Cup. with different Hansons. I, I went for Soren, who definitely played, but I don't know if he's Danish. And he is Nick, Danish. Nick's, <laughs> gone, Nick's gone Anders. It's it's Soren. Half point? No. Look at me as if that's such an outrage. Well, you got the wrong person. Yeah, it's not one, like you got one right person. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought <laughs> you meant <laughs> half point <laughs> for Hanson. <laughs> I thought that's what you meant. So, um, sure get half point, no, you don't get a half point. That was incorrect. It was a simple answer because Thomas Bjorn was so easy. You can't get half a point for getting Thomas Bjorn. Okay. Six is a math. No. Six. Yeah. Who captained the first European side? The first European side. So when Sevi teamed up with with the rest of the well, I've said Bernard Gallagher and, other, and Nick has said Tony Jacklin. And I say no, incorrect. John Jacobs. Oh, surely you would know that. Surely. Oh, surely. The forefather of the surely. European tour, founding father. Um, question number seven. Is I, it? I'll say uh, it because. Um, hang on a second. My writing may be illegible. Name the course chosen for twenty. Marco Simone Golf and Country Club. That's correct. I've not, literally just subbed an advertorial on Italy, which has included that course. So that oh. was useful timing. And Tom, what did you say? I put Club d'Italia. Club d'Italia. <laughs> Somewhat reaching in the dark there, I'd say. Golf Club Italia. I put Club Italia. I think I've been to Club Italia. I think it's in, uh, in Reading, I think. Um, that's actually wrong. Uh, yeah. But it is in Italy. Well, and, that's yeah, not and also, the, I don't point. think it's even. Does it? Does it exist? Or are they redoing it? It exists. It exists. Yeah. Okay. I've got absolutely. Basically, I've not got a leg to stand on, so I'm going to be quiet. Starting again with it, aren't they? Um, question number eight: What year was the war on the shore? 1991. Correct. Bernard Langham, yeah. the six footer. Not 1999. 1991. 1991. And who? Justin oh, that's got, oh. Can you name the unheralded rookie from? Birmingham, who sort of somewhere in the Midlands, who played that year. Um, so in '91. Yeah. It was. Yeah, I can. If you give me five. David Guildford. No. No, he was. No. 
No, I can't. Paul Broadhurst. Paul Broadhurst, I could have done yeah. that. Recent senior I've got I've had an absolute brain meltdown. Uh, three French players have played in the Ryder Cup, obviously. Oh, that's um, the one I thought I was going to win. Nick's favourite, Victor Dubuisson, was one. But do you know the other two? Uh, Van der Velde and Levey. Correct, incorrect. Did you both get that? Yeah. Uh, and what's the score? What are the scores on the doors going into the final question? Uh, I'm, I've lost. Tom's got three. And Nick's got five. Oh, right, okay. Well, then this makes no difference. And I think he's got this right as well. Pierre Ulrich Johansson and Jesper Parlovic both played for Sweden, uh, both played for Europe as Swedes. Uh, but how are they related? Brothers-in-law. Cousins. Brothers-in-law. Uh, so Pierre Ulrich is married to Jesper's sister, Jill. A good one if anyone's doing a pub quiz out there. A did you know or a, you know, one to really. It's not, it's, not that, it's not that good, is it? Okay. It's not going to be widespread in terms of its use in pub quizzes, but a good nugget nonetheless. <laughs> I think I did better than three out of ten there. Really. So scores on the doors. Nigel had Nigel straight. Nick had six. I had, I had, had half had of three. That. You need to seriously think about it. I know, but I was very close with a couple of answers and then I had a bit of a brain meltdown on one of them. And also, he got. He, I mean. The Italian golf club one. Bit unlucky. Well, no, you said Club d'Italia. <laughs> the golf club. You could have, it was a, technically, not horse. <laughs> Don't try and argue technicality on that. Um, okay, so that brings us towards the end of our, our podcast. But, gents, is there any other business you'd like to... Anything else you'd like to get... So, just to say that we are podcasting just after Rory McIlroy has won the Deutsche Bank Championship. So, next... I think it's next Monday... Davis Love will be making his first three wild card picks. First three wildcard picks, but this will this podcast will go out on that Monday or on the Tuesday. Um, so well, you will know before us, so which we predict. Who the three are going to be? Well, I think okay. quite clearly. So you be you will know. Bubba Watson and Ricky Fowler with the informed player to follow. Wow! Well, there you go. Yeah. What do you reckon? Mm, I'm a bit bored about Ricky Fowler. There's no way he's not. Well, Fowler's the first one in there of those three, isn't he? If anything, Kutcher will give way to like a JB Holmes or someone like that. I think that's what I think. I think JB Holmes might make it in because they were talking about on commentary about how his record in team golf is really good. And he played at Valhalla the last time they won. He hits the ball an absolute country mile. I think he might be fairly popular. But he's not playing anywhere near as good as he did last year. Things are also he's not tainted by those memories of all the losses, is he? Like someone like a Kutcher would be, who's just been on loads of losing sides. Like someone like a Furek has been, he's been on loads of losing sides. Yeah, he's actually got positive memories of winning the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it'll be Fowler, Watson, and I'm going to say Holmes. No, I think we can all agree it's definitely going to be Fowler. Or I think he gets the point though. Why, why do you need? Three wild card picks. If you're going to pick those three, it's a bit boring. That's well. That's true. But they that are true. the next three, pretty much in the ranking. Exactly. So exactly. why, why, so have why the wild bother? Card well, why bother having any pick? Why bother having a qualification system at all? If you're just going to pick the first twelve people. Media fanfare. What? The, what? PR. Just blame yourself, then, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Brings um, attention to it. Anyway. Okay, good well, that's good aside. Though. This this podcast, I can't help but feel as if sort of it's fizzled out a little. It has, it has a little bit, but um, I think the thing to say is, Roy McIlroy world exclusive in the latest issue. Check that out. Yes, do it's on the shelves now. And, and, plus and it has, and preview, has a Ryder Cup preview, in it. which yes, which is well worth a look. Um, and it's also got a stroke saver of Hazeltine. It does, um, or Hazeltine, or Hazeltine. 
uh, which will you can use while you watch the golf to kind of give you an you idea. You show all the bits of the golf course that you'd miss with your driver like me. Yeah, and if you're watching it with your wife, you can say, oh, he's just driven it a few yards in front of that. He's got 230 to the front from there. And obviously she'll be fascinated. You've got to put the kettle on. <laughs> or if you're watching with your husband. <laughs> or if you're watching with your husband. Um, yes, thank you for that. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, um, okay, thank you. Good day. <laughs> Nick, why are you laughing? It's a kettle comment. Anyway. Kettle comment. Let's move on. Okay, uh, goodbye. <laughs>